Welcome to pod number four. I'm eating a cookie. It was very nice. It's a... Uh, Don't know because if you say where it's from, no, it's I wasn't like you're say trying to sell. I was just going <laughs> to say like sometimes Susie is reluctant to do the the podcast. It's hard to get her away from her desk. So if I come bearing so not true. sweet treats, that's um, really not true. Then then Susie's up for it. So. I d- I, you know I'm not susceptible to bribery at all. She says eating a chocolate cookie. Sorry, this is going to be chewed. Yeah, you can't do you can't eat the cookie and try and introduce the podcast at the same time. You can't hear me chewing. Um, so podcast four. With Sorry, yeah, that's my bit. Yeah, go on. Podcast four is with Emma Wiggs, MBE, who is talking to us about her, um, well, basically her journey. Um, originally, as a sitting volleyball athlete, and then moving sports after London 2012 into canoeing, para canoeing, yep. um, and w- subsequently in four years winning gold um, at the Rio 2016 Paralympic Games. And hopefully we'll come back with some more bling next year in Tokyo. Uh, But she talks a lot about um, her difficulties with injury over the past year after a really good year last year where she was world champion and then getting injured and then coming back off that. Um, And also transitioning from different sports, which is quite an interesting angle because a lot of Paralympic athletes are seeming to do that more and more these days. So, you know, once you finish one sport, you can go into another. I might... Tap my hat at maybe doing equestrian. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to see you doing dressage. I like dressage. I know you do, yeah. Um, <laughs> tap my hat, is that a proper <laughs> I a don't know, phrase? I just made that up. <laughs> okay, <laughs> here we go again. Tap my hat. All right. Okay. I, th- I think let's just have a chat and, and kind of... And try and keep close like this. Yeah, um, I, might, I, I tell people to do it and then I listen back <laughs> and I've not done it and I can barely hear myself and I okay. can hear the other person really well. Um, so yeah, just keep it close to you yeah um i was actually really excited to have you on the podcast specifically because i don't know if you remember but in the build-up to pyeongchang you came and you spoke to all of the winter athletes um who were looking at prospective athletes who were potentially going to um, to pyeongchang lily shaw wasn't it exactly yeah and that was actually my first day with paralympics gb Oh, wow. And I, w- I was aware of you as an athlete from, from Rio, um, but I listened to you talk and you said, I mean, you said a lot of amazing things, but one thing really stuck with me and I found it quite jarring and it was a great introduction to the world of parasport for me. And it was that you loved your disability and that you were stronger now than you'd ever been before. And thinking about it now, that's something I've come across a lot speaking to athletes but at the time I hadn't really heard anyone articulate it that way before and it was quite uh I don't know it was quite yeah. a ch- shocking thing to hear in a way is that is that like a common reaction or was that just my ignorance no I think I think with with disability sport I think everyone's got a story and 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 a, a reason why they're in disability sport and I think often that's perceived as as you know life-changing and really negative and there's nothing positive from it and I think you know you have to flip these experiences on their head and and you have to make the best of you know the cards you've been dealt so for me you know saying that I'm stronger disabled than I was able-bodied is how I'm I'm choosing to to see it and and choosing to play the cards that that I've been dealt you know I could you know I could have sat here and thought you know poor me um you know my life changes at the age of 18 and and it's all disastrous and I did do that for a few years but you know it's then about really maximizing what you've got and I think it it really intrigues me and it really inspires me that I can be stronger and fitter and making more of my life 
because I've become disabled, because I've, I've changed my mindset, because I've, I've had to, to learn some tough challenges um, than, I, than I possibly ever was when more of me worked. And I find that quite intriguing. I should say we are at Home Pierpoint in Nottingham. Um, it's the second time I've been here. And ev- I say every time, the second time I've been here, but it's such a beautiful place. It must be amazing to come to work here every day. I was driving through the suburbs of Nottingham and then suddenly the countryside just appears and there's this huge kind of lake. And it's just a really beautiful place. Yeah, come in November. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. I mean, the winters are pretty brutal, but I think that's in a way what makes us what makes us stronger. But yeah, it's a particularly nice day today. And I think, you know, when, when you're trading in an environment that is beautiful, even when it's horrific conditions, it, it, you know, you can't fail to be inspired and motivated to get out there. But definitely it's a, it's a brutal winter and, and certainly when the wind picks up, um, it's, it's a challenge. But I think one that sets us up actually to then go abroad and race in really good conditions and hopefully race well. And how's the season going so far? Uh, I think it's been a disrupted season for me. I had a, a really bad injury at the end of last year and had to have some surgery in September. So it's been probably my most challenging year. And I think, um, you know, going back to what we were talking about disability a minute ago, it's it's probably the first time I've actually felt disabled in 20 years. I had wrist surgery, which just had a huge impact on, on my life and my ability to do things, not just my training, but, you know, to live my life um, as me and I think that was that's had a huge impact so it's been a really challenging winter I think I've learned a huge amount um, but you know I'm not where I want to be and and it's now looking at you know looking at 18 months ahead and hoping that by Tokyo we can be back to where we were which was you know we're off the back of my best year most successful year ever um, to have that has been pretty shattering but uh, we will be back stronger I'm sure. Was that the first major injury of your career first surgery yeah absolutely um and i think you know i was very fortunate um to be able to be part of the world-class setup here and to actually have you know five years of of uninterrupted success and every year be stronger every year be faster um so it's come as a bit of a shock to suddenly be slower and weaker um but actually it's a chance to learn and it's a chance to to work on other things that that we come sometimes neglect because you know, we're focusing on making the boat fast. So it's uh, it's been a challenge and I'm sure one that I'll come out the other side of. I guess psychologically it must be quite a, an experience to go through when, you're, when your body's your job and some part of it isn't doing what it's, it's used to doing. It must be quite quite tough. Yeah, I think it's a, w- I think it's a wake-up call. I think, you know, at, as someone who's acquired a disability at, at 18, I think you, you spend so much of your life, you know, making sure that it doesn't impact you to suddenly have something you know as a result of a a stupid accident in the gym that actually then impacts your ability to look after yourself and and move around and your independence um was was hugely tough and i think it it just was a real wake-up call to think actually you know i've i i have got to be more than just a canoeist um you know so i've had to do a lot of soul searching and a lot of looking at you know who emma wiggs is other than a you know, Paralympic and world champion. And, and that's a good thing and probably something I should have done before getting injured, I think. It's just a really important part of, of any athlete's journey because you never know. And uh, just going right back to the, to the beginning, whereabouts did you did you grow up and, and were you a, a sporty child? Yeah, I was a really sporty child. One of those annoying ones that, that could do any sport and, um, and be good at it. I've got a twin brother and an older sister. So we were always out in the garden or the park um, doing all sorts of sports. And, and hockey was probably my main sport once I got to kind of secondary school. Um, and I played that to a really kind of decent level. Um, I knew that I wanted to 
be a PE teacher because I kind of looked at the teachers and thought, hang on a minute, they're the coolest ones. They get to wear shorts and sunglasses and they're, and they're always going to be much cooler than the, the maths teachers or the science teachers. Apologies to any <laughs> maths teachers or science teachers. And I thought that was what I wanted to do. I, could, I just had this real passion for, for sport. So I got a place at university and decided before I went from education to education to education, I would go on a gap year, uh, which in 1998 wasn't quite the done thing. It, it was uh, it was quite sort of frowned upon to go and, and spend a year traveling. But I, I, I wanted to go and I went, the plan was to spend six months working on a farm in Australia and then six months traveling and doing all the things you do when you're the other side of the world to your parents. Um, and it went wrong, unfortunately, six weeks in, I contracted a virus, um, which effectively attacked the, the ends of the nerves and, and paralyzed me in my arms and my legs overnight. So, you know, as an 18 year old, that was um, pretty life changing. Um, and I think, you know, life is about moments, isn't it? I think all of us have moments where some are good and some are, and some are bad or, or challenging. And I think that was a, a really key moment for me and one that, you know, shaped the rest of, rest of my life. And, and I think it's how we respond to those moments that will determine what we go on to do. And how, how soon after that did you decide that you would continue doing sport and, and what was the kind of sport that you picked up? Well, I'm slightly embarrassed to say it took me 12 years. And I think, you know, one thing that, that is really reassuring for me is that, you know, the work of Paralympics GB and the growth of the Paralympic movement, you know, now means that that just simply doesn't happen. You know, you see people that are um, maybe injured in a terrorist attack or an, or an accident that are finding Paralympic sport, you know, within months of, of their injury. Uh, and it took me 12 years and that, you know, for someone who, for whom sport was such a major part of my life, I'm, I'm still baffled as to why it, it took me so long. But um, it's actually, you know, my brother and, and one of my best friends kind of bullied me into going to a talent identification day in, in 2010, you know, which was 12 years after being disabled. But I'd spent those 12 years getting my degree and, and, uh, and being a teacher and kind of learning to live a new sort of life. So I hadn't wasted them in such terms, but I think... You know, 12 years is, is another three games. So I could have potentially been to another three games if I'd got on, got on board a bit earlier. But I went to a talent day in, in the run-up to London and found uh, sitting volleyball, um, which kind of just lit the fire inside me that, that the sport, you know, that I used to be before I was disabled um, and all the feelings and all the, the excitement of being able to move around um, freely on the court. So, I yeah, I jumped in straight away and, and was lucky enough to, to find myself in part of a team and then lead that team for the next few years uh, and then we got to London. Did you work as a teacher in that intermittent period? Um, I tried to, yeah, I tried to combine the two. It was really challenging. I had some challenges with my employer not wanting to, to give me time time off um, and it was it was really lucky that I could then find, find a school that was prepared to, to buy in to, to kind of me because um, I think a PE teacher in a wheelchair is an unusual a usual thing, but you know, I was really lucky that um, the Regis School in, in Bognor bought into that and actually ended up sending some of the youngsters to the games as games makers. So hopefully they got they got something out of it too. But I managed to combine part-time um, work with my training um, for, for, for a lot of that those two years and then decided to, to really focus on the volleyball. Um, but we weren't you know, fully funded, so we weren't training as a as a full time program. But yeah, it was it was kind of another moment really where I had to choose between the job that I'd worked so hard to get and and the sport that I'd suddenly refound. Do you miss teaching? I, I I do. I miss. I went to a school sports awards actually the other night, and I miss the kind of environment um, of being in the school. I think teaching is incredibly tough. I'm not sure I've I've got what it takes anymore. Um, but I love 
I love the power of sport and I love I loved that in teaching young people and I hope now that I can try and combine my training with with still working with people um, in a kind of mentor or um, ambassadorial role or something to, to try and spread that message. And uh, what, what was your London experience like? I mean, just mind-blowing. I mean, to go to a Paralympic Games is, is incredible anyway, but to go to a home Paralympic Games, you know, there's some of our best athletes in the world that have competed in four or five games that have never done a home game. So... You know, it was just completely life-changing um, for me, and and it and it was a real um, eye-opener to to what I was capable of and, and what I wanted to go on to pursue. So, you know, the volleyball was a was an incredible experience, but it was also quite a a challenging one um, to be to be part of a team that you know I was desperate to to be successful and and you know we weren't in that stage that w- there was lots of people that were there to participate and and to and quite rightly to enjoy the experience of a of a home game. So. I think it was an incredible experience, but one that came with its challenges. But all it really did was was light the fire inside me to know that I wanted to see whether I could compete with the best people in the world, and that's why, you know, post London, I made the switch to to para canoe. When you when you think back to London off the field of play, what are the kind of overriding happy memories that you that you have that we might not know about? I think just the the village environment was just completely mesmerising. To to go into you know, an, a village that has been built for the best athletes in the world and to feel that you're part of it was was incredible. I think you can get, you know, you can get quite distracted by it. Um, I was I was quite disciplined, but it was just an incredible, incredible moment. And for it to be in the country where my family are so that they can be part of it, um, you know, the public embraced it. And it was a real, real massive moment for Paralympic sport and one that changed the, the whole future. And I think we've built the momentum from that. So I think London was a, a huge turning point for me personally um, and one for Paralympic sport across the world. And then how soon after London did your attention turn to, to canoe? I think it's it's quite interesting after a Games. I think there's a lot of movement of athletes, um, a lot of sports that are looking for to, to see if whether athletes have, have got you know talent to transition across. And um, I think it was probably the, the November or the December where I first came and had a go on a on an ergo and then in the January I came up to Nottingham and um, I didn't fall out and I didn't mind that I'd been blown around and my hair was a mess on a windy lake um, so I ticked a few boxes and and was then offered a place on the squad and and I just could sense in the in the eyes of the of the the head coach and the program manager that these guys were serious and, and it was about performance and it was about becoming not just the best para canoe squad in the world, but with world leading athletes. And that was incredibly exciting and, and an, another moment where I made the right decision. And, and I've been incredibly fortunate to, to have world-class coaching that has allowed me to achieve things that just never could have dreamt would happen. I guess the ideal story would be for you to say, I got into the boat and I just felt freedom and it was amazing. I loved it straight away. Yeah. Is, that, is that how it happens or do you learn to love a sport? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of was a bit like that, to be honest. I think for me, it's it's always been quite important to feel that I can get out the chair and, and, and move freely. You know, when you look at us training on the lake, you know, we're lucky enough to have the Olympic guys up here as well. So y- when you look at the lake, you can't really tell who's the para squad and who's the Olympic squad. You know, there's just an array of legs and wheelchairs on the on the jetty that, that might give you a bit of a clue. But it's, you know, it's incredibly um, liberating to feel that you can just get in a boat and, and go fast. Um, and again, it goes back to what I said earlier about the fact it's, it's about using the bits of me that work to make the boat go fast. And, and it, it's kind of irrelevant that the legs don't do anything um, when the arms can can get the boat moving so it was yeah I just kind of fell in love with the freedom of it and the movement of it 
Um, and, you know, the only slight sticking point was I was currently living in Glasgow when I joined here, which turns out to be quite a long commute for a, a six-day week training training <laughs> commitment. But, you know, you find a way, don't you? So did you quickly move down here to Nottingham? No, I, uh, for a year and a half I commuted. So I'd fly down on a Monday morning and I would fly back on a Friday night um, with a load of stinky kit um, and do a session on the Saturday in Glasgow and then be quite miserable all Sunday that I was having to go back and... And then I do it again and again and again. But it was it was working, and I could see a future. and And the belief that the the coaches had was incredible. And it was important that I just, you know, kind of followed the plan, and and that was it. And you know, I definitely saw a more increase in performance once I relocated. But we were up there for the Commonwealth um, Games, so it was just what we were doing for that for that period of time. So that's quite a slog. It must have been quite difficult to. to yeah, yeah to I think it was. I think yeah, I think uh, you don't realize when you're doing it because. I just wanted to make sure that I was taking every opportunity I could. And, mm-hmm. and I really feel that, you know, when life chucks you a challenge, when it then chucks you an opportunity, you can't shy away from it. So it would have been easy to say, yeah, do you know what? I'll come every month. Um, but then would I be sitting here, you know, with, with the, the medals that I've won or with the performances that I've done? Probably not. So I think, you know, I'm kind of an all in or, or not in person. And um, at what point during the Rio cycle, I mean, maybe it was right at the beginning. Maybe it was when you first got into a boat. Did you think, I'm, I want to be a Paralympic champion and I can do this? I think it's a, it's a really interesting question. It's, o- it's often puzzled me that um, I n- I've never lined up thinking I'm going to win a race. And it used to drive my, my coach, my first coach, mad because he used to be like, you sh- well, how can you not be more confident? But for me, the belief was never about could I be a Paralympic champion? The belief was about... Um, could I do everything I possibly could to give me the best chance? And, you know, even when I was undefeated for, you know, four and a bit years, I didn't ever believe I was going to win win a Paralympic gold medal or, or a race even. Um, but I think that doesn't necessarily need to be a bad thing. I think if you believe that you've made good choices and, and done everything you possibly can, you're kind of free then to go and deliver your best race. And actually, that was good enough. So you don't think you're going to win, but do you think you're going to lose, or is it just you're you're just there, not really thinking about winning or losing? Just I think doing what you I need think I'm I'm probably I tend to be more of a worrier than a than a confident confident athlete. So I I've had to work really hard at not looking at the opposition. You know, we're in a sport where it's you know it's A to B as fast as you can in your own lane, so nobody can interfere. But it's amazing how much you look at everybody else. You know, and I used to say ridiculous things now when you look back and, and I used to look at people and say, oh, look, they look strong. You know, basing that prediction on them sitting on land, like it, it made no sense. But it was more of a kind of process that I had to go through. Um, and I think it's a natural thing to, to be worried about other other athletes and what they're doing. But I've learned over the years that actually I'm far more powerful and far more um in control if I, if I'm just focusing on what I can do. So I think when I line up it's it's before my injury it was all about I know I've done all the training I possibly could. I probably know that's more than anyone else in the world and I know I'm ready to to deliver a run that I know will will probably be good enough um without knowing that I'm going to win if that makes sense. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, my favorite moments of watching sports where it's where it's a race is always that tension and the silence right before the, yeah. the, the gun goes or whatever it might be. Well, you're a sadist. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't have to. I don't have to do the race, so it's easy for me to do it. Um, what is going through your head at, at, at that moment? Is it 
is it fear? Is it nervousness? Is it is it nothing? Yeah, I think that's where another reason why our sport is so great to watch because it is right in front of you. You can see the start, you can see the finish, and you can see all, all that process. Um, I think for me, it's it's it is a bit of fear. It's about you know, I think in Rio, I remember there was a big crosswind, and I remember thinking. I'd had to abandon most of my warm-up because of this crosswind. So I'd had to just kind of sit trying to not fall out the boat. And I can remember thinking, God, if I fall out now, this is going to be so embarrassing. There's 8,000 people watching. My family have flown all this way. What if I fall out? And I remember having that thought, but I remember very quickly thinking, I've done this thousands of times. Nottingham is worse. Um, and, I, and I know I can do this. And as soon as the bucket dropped and you've done that first stroke you kind of just go into autopilot. So, I, you know, I think it's something you can learn. I think, you know, if I was the athlete I am now, back at the start, I think I could have taught myself quite a few important lessons. But it's just about the prep and the practice um, and knowing that, you know, you've just got to deliver what you know you can do. And building into Rio, having been through the, the London Games and the build-up to it, I guess, as the public, we didn't kind of know what to expect from London. There was this explosion how how did your experience differ going into to, to those two games in terms of media attention and just kind of how you dealt with it all yeah i think it was it was a real um shift change really in terms of the media's approach and even even you know school children when you when you went into schools to talk to them because i i kind of feel you know we're lucky enough to do what we do and, and call it a job you know we need we need to make sure that we're sharing that with with people out there so it's really important to me to be able to go and speak to to, to young people and, and even adults and try and share those messaging. But I think what I, the biggest change for me in the run-up to Rio was the fact that people were interested in what we were doing as athletes who happened to have disabilities rather than people with disabilities that were doing a bit of sport. And I think in four years, that's an incredible shift. You know, in the run-up to London, it is all about people's backstories and, um, you know, the things that have happened. Whereas in the run-up to Rio, people were asking you know, about our training schedules and uh, and how much we can bench press or, or nutrition or whatever it might be and, and really seeing us as athletes who happen to have disabilities rather than, you know, people with disabilities having a go. Does it bother you when people ask you the backstory questions even though it's kind of all out there? Yeah, I don't... No, it doesn't bother me. I think it's part of, of what we do. Um, you know, and at the end of the day, I can't shy away from the fact that if I didn't have a disability, I wouldn't be doing Paralympic sport um, and, and hopefully going to another Paralympic game. So it's part of me, and I think, you know, what I like to do is try and spin it on its head and, and, and help people see the positives that can come out of it um, because, you know, it is undoubtedly life-changing um, and impactful. But actually, if you can find the positives in it, then, then it's much more powerful. And um, just talk to me a little bit about Rio and, and what, what happened there. Yeah. It must have been an incredible experience for you. I think, you know, Rio was, was again, just another level. It, it, it was, um, you know, a, a Games that was, a, that was abroad, so that had it, all its other bits that go with it. Um, it was, I was going into it undefeated, uh, which brought some pressure, but, but not so much because I didn't ever believe that I could, could win it. I think I'd, I just believed that I could do a performance that would hopefully be good enough. Um, but the actual Games was incredible. You know, I think the, the Olympics... Um, had had some problems, teething problems with the village and all the rest of it and the transport. But because, you know, they kind of were a warmer warm-up event for the Paralympics, um, it was all ironed out by the time we got there. And, and you know, we're, we're so lucky to have uh, Paralympics GB and, and the setup that I never once worried about the what could go wrong and, and what might happen because I knew it would be taken care of. And I think that's a huge advantage going into a competition. 
you know, we arrived in the village quite late on and everything was sorted. And you could see your, your competitors who'd been struggling with transport or the distance to the dining room or, or whatever it might be. You know, and they were tired. They were tired by dealing with all that. But w the setup that we have within Paralympics GB just allows us to literally breeze in, do what we do, and breeze out. And that is that's a huge advantage. So it was it was really a game changer for me. Was there a difference because dur during London you were <coughs> sorry uh, part of a, a team and going into it as an individual competitor? Is did you did you feel that difference? Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting one because um, it's it's really interesting that even. Even though we're an individual sport, I feel like we're a stronger team than any team I've ever been part of. And I think it comes down to, to what people's uh, goals are and what their kind of values and their driving, their driving forces are. And I think for us as a squad, yes, we're in a boat on our own, but as a squad, we share some really strong, similar values and beliefs about what being world-class is, is all about. Um, and yes, we have our challenges, um, but actually that brings us together as a really strong a strong team. So we went into Rio knowing that that we were a force to be reckoned with, um, and we were able in that magical hour in Rio that still gives me goosebumps um, when I think about it to deliver, you know, five medals and and uh, you know another really good performance. So, what's that feeling like when you you realise you've you've become Paralympic champion? Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy because I've always, um, you know, always had a fear of being chased. So it's not obviously not a great sport to choose <laughs> when uh, when when you're being chased down at 200 meters. Um, so I, and it's re I find it really hard to judge where everyone else is. So it was just a case of a don't fall out in your warm up because of the side wind. B get out the bucket safe and then just head down and go for it. And I can remember crossing the line and and knowing I'd I'd won. And and then um, everyone asking me at the end about why I was screaming so much. And I was like, was I? And and I looked watched the video back and I'm screaming like a complete lunatic. And I think it was just a a release of, of pressure and, and a release of, of, of kind of all the emotion that's tied into the fact that, you know, this is our life. And when you want to go to Paralympic Games, whether you're an athlete with a disability or an able-bodied athlete, it is all-encompassing and all-consuming. And it is your whole life. You know, we'd, we'd not seen family for months. You know, we'd, we'd got our shopping delivered so that we didn't catch germs in the supermarket. You know, I'd gone to bed at half past eight for a year and a half. You know, it's it's those sorts of things that you've done day in, day out that have allowed you to to be the best on the world stage. And, and I think it was just an incredible moment and one that, you know, will live with me forever. Does it sink in straight away? Um, no, I don't think so. I think, um, you know, I still look back at when I look at the medal and think, crikey, I, I won. I won that. And it's and it is. Yeah, it's an incredible roller coaster. And I actually, interestingly, I kind of struggled the day after because you know, we'd been so regimented in what we were doing, you know, where we were going to be, what time, that the next day when we were given free time and we were on our own because everyone kind of went their separate waves, ways it was it was kind of a bit sad and a bit and a bit lonely really. And I think I struggled for a bit in the in the weeks that followed, um, kind of knowing what my purpose was because I had no plan. And I think that's something that, that all athletes can learn from. And I think as a squad we will learn from that as we approach Tokyo to make sure that we've all got a plan and we know what we're doing because it's it's quite a, a fragile time. What did you do the day after? Um, I met up with family briefly and then um, I kind of felt this need to go back to the village because I was like, well, I must go back and go to bed. And, and they were like, well, you don't need to go to bed. And I was like, oh, right, yeah, okay. Well, I, I better <laughs> go back anyway. Um, and I actually went back on and I, and I was on my own in the flat and I remember being, you know, a little bit um, emotional and, and had a bit of a cry that it was kind of done. Um, and we and we'd done it. So I think you know. Hopefully, if I can get to Tokyo, 
you know, I'll be, be a bit more prepared for, 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 you know, either winning some medals or, or delivering some good performances because I just didn't feel quite ready for, for that to kind of hit me. And when you got back from Rio, were you straight back into into game mode? Were you looking ahead to Tokyo already and World Champs and all those kind of things, or did it take some time? I think it, it was really interesting because I did lots of interviews and I was always asked, um, "Are you going to retire?" And I thought, "God, that's a really odd question because I just won a gold medal, and it was you know I'd spent most of the year doing forty nine seconds, and the gold medal was was one in fifty three, so I was actually pretty devastated at the time, even though it was a sidewind." You know, because I knew I was faster than that, so it was never it never crossed my mind to retire then because I knew I could make the boat go faster. So we had about six weeks, I think, um, off, um, and and then I was really focused on the fact that I wanted to come back and and carry on. And we had a you know we had a good year. The next year we secured the Grand Slam, so that was one one of the first paracanoe athletes to do that and to to break the the forty nine second barrier. The year after was was just an incredible moment for me and, and Matt, my my coach. The last time I spoke to you, um, we did a, an interview and an article about around International Women's Day. Um, and I spoke to you about being a female athlete and uh, we've got such an incredible cohort of, of female athletes and I guess nowhere more so than in canoe with yourself, uh, Charlotte Henshaw, who's transitioned from, from swimming and also Jeanette Chippington, who's an incredible athlete. Um, what's it like to be surrounded by such incredible female athletes? It must be it must be great to have them around and always pushing you on. Yeah, and I think that again is one of our secret weapons. Although it's not so much of a secret anymore, <laughs> but we, you know, we we, we train centrally. Um, I mean, Jeanette's based down south, but we still do some stuff uh, all together. And and I think that's a real um, a real win for us because you've got the fastest people in the world that are also your training mates. Um, and I think that can bring positives and negatives. But I think as a group of women, we actually see all the positives. Um, and as a result of that, I've managed to make each other faster than we've ever been so we're doing something right and I think it's just it's just an incredible um, environment to be in um, and to be able to say that we're dominating the world you know as women in, in para canoe is is an incredible achievement and I think it's, it's only going to get better you know we've got some other athletes coming through we've got Laura Sugar, Hope Gordon, you know Chelsea Dixon there are other strong women coming through in the other categories um, and so I'm really confident that we can you know press on as, as a, a female force um, and then you know the boys are doing well too, so I think it'll be a it'll be a joint effort in Tokyo, hopefully. And uh, d do you feel the pressure from 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 the younger athletes coming through? Do you feel like you need to kind of keep hold of, of 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 the reins, if you will? Yeah, I think it's been you know it's been a really challenging year. I think with the injury, you know, I had I had the best year I've ever had last year, and, and Charlotte and me were neck and neck, and um to then have to then have the injury and to lose the whole winter you know at my age is has been really really challenging um so definitely when i see these youngsters coming through it's uh, it's a bit of a wake up call again to think crikey am i you know am i too old for this is this but then in a way that's what paralympic sports should be doing it shouldn't be possible you know in your 40s not that i'm in my 40s yet <laughs> but it shouldn't be possible in your 40s to be winning all the stuff you know that's a really good step forward for paralympic sport that it's you know the youngsters that are coming through um, but I think it, all it does is drive me on to, to, to want to try and help the, the real youngsters if they want any help or mentoring and, and to be part of, of what they're doing. So I'll keep going for as long as I possibly can and as long as the body lets me. And for anyone who maybe hasn't taken up a sport or is thinking about getting into something like canoe, any advice? I think just to have a go. I think, you know, if we're talking about moments where our life changes, you've got to also talk about opportunities. 
And I think all of us are presented with opportunities, you know, sometimes when we least expect it. And it's how we decide to deal with that opportunity. So do we grab it or do we shy away from it? And I think when I was teaching, it used to really worry me that kids used to say, um, oh, I don't want to revise. Because if I revise and fail, then I know I'm rubbish. Whereas if I haven't revised, then I just know I haven't tried. And that's a really worrying attitude. And I think quite a lot of young people struggle with that. They would almost rather not try and not succeed than try and fail. And I think we've got to be braver than that. We've got to, to be bold, to be brave, to, to grab any opportunity that comes our way because you just don't know where it's going to lead. You know, I didn't think for one second turning up to that day in 2010 would lead to going to a home Paralympics, would lead to a gold in Rio and, and would lead to hopefully going to make history again in Tokyo and, and secure two medals in para canoe, which will be a world's first. So you just never know. So grab it, grab it. Wasn't until you said that I realised it's all, that's only nine years ago. It's yeah. s- that's such an incredible journey to to have been on. Yeah, and I and I kind of wish that the the athlete I am now, with the incredible support I've had from from canoeing, could go back and talk to the athlete I was in in 2010 because I think I would have probably enjoyed and embraced the experience and the challenges of, of the volleyball more um, because I would have learnt you know what's in my control and what isn't in my control rather than you know, trying to, to bash my way through and, and drag everyone along with me. So I think, but that's that's what's great about life, isn't it? Like, we learn all the time. I mean, I'm 39 just, and uh, I'm still learning. And I think that's that's an incredible thing to do. Um, and that's the power of sport. You know, sport is, is a real, real power to change people's lives. And, and if we can still learn from it, then fantastic. Absolutely. Emma Wicks, thank you so much. No worries. Thanks for having me. Right, so that was Emma Wiggs talking about her journey as she's preparing to to go to Tokyo next year. Some really kind of useful insight there around, you know, coping with injury, how she uh, was working originally when she was trying to become an athlete and kind of balancing and juggling two things at the same time, um, you know, and, and certainly around planning for next year. I think from my perspective, you know, the depth of that team and the breadth of it is really incredible. It's growing as a sport, as a Paralympic sport. I think next year will be fantastic. You've got people like Emma, who's, uh, you know, amazing athlete, who's going to be going up against uh, my friend, Charlotte Henshaw, who's uh, was in swimming and and competed in several games and is now a canoeist as well. And those two are both in the same classification. So that will be really a, a one to watch, I think, that race between those guys. And Emma's got a couple of chances, I think, to win medals next year. So, um, yeah, it's great to hear her talking. And, and what comes over to me is just how, you know, how strong and resilient she is as an athlete. Absolutely. And yeah, like you said, it, with, with Canoe next year, I think definitely one to watch in, in Tokyo when we've got some of the best in the world all competing for, for GB is a fantastic position to be in. Absolutely. So yeah, hope you enjoyed that pod and uh, we look forward to bringing another one very soon. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Paralympics GB podcast. Remember to subscribe and if you like the pod, please leave us a review. It really helps spread the word and lets others find us more easily.